0: Well, good morning my friends. It is Monday morning, December 14th. This is podcast number 437. Grab your Bibles and your notepads and turn to 2nd John. We've just spent uh, a couple of weeks in 1st John and we'll spend the day in 2nd John and then tomorrow in um 3rd John. And then I think I'll probably do Jude and Philemon, some of the shorter books, um as we just kind of um take care of this week before Christmas and then we'll get into Christmas. So Grab your Bibles and uh, turn to 2 John, toward the back of the Bible, obviously just before uh, Jude and Revelation. 2 John, a small letter, 13 verses, but a lot to say. And uh, for our memory verse, let's use verse 3. 2 John, verse 3, says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father Son, in truth and love. I love how he begins this by tying Jesus and the Son to uh, Jesus and the Father together, um, because uh, Christianity rises and falls on the deity of Jesus Christ. We obviously believe that he is God, come in the flesh, John chapter one and verse fourteen. So let's go to the beginning, and this greeting is. A little unusual because there are two schools of thought. Let's look at it. The elder to the elect lady and her children. The elder to the elect lady and her children. So he's writing to either an individual and the people that are under her care in the church or he's writing to a church. Uh, Look at verse 13. He finishes the letter by saying, the children of your elect sister greet you. So it could very well be... um, a greeting to the whole church or to the person who is in charge of this group of people and the people underneath her. Uh, then he goes, says, he goes on to say, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. And so um, we need to understand what he's talking about when he says truth here. Let's go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, same writer. This is the gospel. John chapter 8 and verse 31 and 32, verses 31, 32. John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so it's important that we understand the truth that he's talking about is the truth of the gospel. And he says, if you're going to, Be my disciple, you have to abide in this truth. Now go to John chapter 14 and verse 6. John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus teaching his disciples, says, uh, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No wiggle room there. If you want to get to the Father, if you want to have a relationship with God the Father, it's through his Son, Jesus Christ. We cannot forfeit this. We cannot allow people to uh, to take this and to run with this and to say that um, um, this is um, just one way to heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And we pray for those who do not have knowledge of that. And it's our job as the church to give them the knowledge of that and to correct error. Look at verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. We need to understand something. God is not at war with sinners. They are at war with him. God is not at war with sinners. They are at war with him. We need to get that right. How do we know that? Let's look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter one, we look at verse 18, <coughs> excuse me, Romans chapter one, verse 18 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So it's their unrighteousness that suppresses the truth. And the word suppress here means that they hold back or disregard for, verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. There's general revelation, Psalm 19, the first few verses talk about how the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. So they're without an excuse because what would, could be known about God, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature are known because of his creation of nature. Uh, they've been clearly uh, uh, perceived, meaning they've been exposed. They've they've seen it ever since the creation of the world, and the things that He has made, so that they are without an excuse. Who are we? Are all without an excuse because of just of general revelation? Then God reveals Himself through His Word, and God reveals Himself through His Son. But general revelation is enough to remove us, uh, remove any excuses from us knowing God, believing that this is all an accident. It is just is just ridiculous. Uh, Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish minds were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became as as fuel, uh, full, excuse me. Now, turn to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. We've, uh, verse 2, through him we have obtained, also obtained access by faith into his grace into which we stand and we rejoice in hope and the glory of God, of the glory of God. So we received this as a gift from God. We didn't earn it. God didn't look down and on some scorecard an imaginary scorecard and say, okay, Gary, you've done enough. No, we received it by grace. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, you may be sitting there thinking, I haven't talked to God in a while, so he won't talk to me. I haven't read my Bible in a while, so so I don't have any relationship with him. I, I haven't been to church in a while. God doesn't hear me. No. We have a relationship with, with God through Christ, his son. And that relationship grows as we spend time in the word, as we spend time talking to God, as we as we spend time in a Bible-believing church, but it doesn't diminish the fact that you're saved if you haven't done those things. It it diminishes your intimacy, just like if you don't talk to your spouse or you don't talk to a friend, and you, and you, and you uh, neglect those things. Obviously, that 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 relationship can suffer. But God doesn't remove Himself because we haven't checked all the boxes of the week that we've studied, we prayed, and we went to church. Those are all great things, and those are all necessary things if you're going to grow in your relationship with God. But you do not lose your relationship with God uh, based on the fact that you haven't read enough Scripture, you haven't talked to God, or you haven't been to church. Again, I'm not making an excuse not to do those things, but, but I understand how busy we all get. I spend more time studying today because I'm retired than I did when I was a pastor and I was running around putting out fires. Was I more of a Christian or am I more of a Christian today than then? No, because my relationship with God is based on what he has done, not what I am doing. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no man can boast. We can't boast. I can't say that I'm a better Christian than you because I study No, you have the same access to God that I do, and your relationship with him is based on what he has done. Um, It's not based on something else. By the way, speaking of what it's not based on, you're not saved because of the love of God. You're saved because he loved you so much that he gave you his son, Jesus Christ, and through his mercy and through his grace and through his uh, even giving us a measure of faith, that's why we're saved. So people talk about the love of God. That's important. But the love of God caused him to give you the gift of God, which is Jesus Christ, his son, John 3, 16. So we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by love. We need to understand that because uh, the world only wants to talk about love, love, love. Okay. Verse four. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the true. This is beautiful because what John is saying is he's had a relationship with some of these people in this church John would over, John oversaw the people that he's writing to they were under his pastoral care and he has seen that now some of the children or some of the people that come under that leadership of the leadership of another that he oversees are walking in faith now and this is beautiful because it reminds us of uh, um, of what God's promises are. Let's look at Psalm 33 and verse 11. Psalm 33 and verse 11. 33, 11 says this. It says, The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees, excuse me, I'm looking at the wrong one, my eyes. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. And so, uh, here John is saying, I love to see that your children are walking in truth. Your children, another generation, people that you're overseeing, um, you've passed your faith onto them, um, because they, you've passed truth onto them and they've accepted Christ as their personal savior and Lord. So he says, I'm excited to see this. This is joyous to me. Uh, there is nothing more joyous for a pastor than to see another generation come up that serves the Lord. Um, just as we were commanded by the Father, you're walking in truth, verse five. And now I ask you, dear lady, or not lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning that you love one another. And this is love that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. As I mentioned in Romans chapter eight, or excuse me, John chapter eight, verse thirty-one, you are my disciples if you keep my commandments. So we're walking in a right relationship with God. And as we saw in 1 John, three different times when John's talking about love, he's mentioning love here again. Now, turn to John chapter 13. I wasn't going to go into 2 John because it was such a small book. And Janie said there's a lot in there, though. So I'm constantly being taught to and challenged even by uh, by others, which I love. And especially by my wife, who is just a... um, a person of the word, and I love that, and I appreciate that about her. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So we need to be in that loving relationship. We need to understand what it means to be loved. And he mentions here in multiple verses that we're filled with truth, right? Back in verse two, he says that the truth abides in you. And what does that mean? Well, it means the truth of the gospel abides in us, but it also means that the Holy Spirit abides in us. Turn to First John, excuse me, First Corinthians, chapter six. 1 Corinthians, chapter six. We. Um, at salvation, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, so the Spirit of truth abides in us. Look at First uh, Corinthians six nineteen. Or do you not know that your body is, is a temple of the Holy Spirit with, within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a prize, so glorify God in your body. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, so the Spirit of truth lives within us. And that's what Jesus promised. Let's look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus says this, let's do 15, 16 and 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells in you and will he dwells with you, and he, and he will dwell in you. Uh, remember, at uh, at Pentecost, on, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit uh, came came from heaven and, and rested upon them, ministered to them, and at salvation, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So look at one more scripture in John 16, verse 13, about this indwelling. John 16, 13, Jesus teaching about the work of the Holy Spirit, says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come the holy spirit dwells in us gives us this ability uh to know the truth and speaks and leads us into all truth now verse seven uh, uh verse six and this is love that we walk according to his commandments and we're back to first john uh, or second john chapter Verse six, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming, look at the deception. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. He's not a spirit, not an emanation, but he came in the flesh. John 1, 14, such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist or as the spirit of the Antichrist. They are not Christian. They do not confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. They do not confess that Jesus is is deity. He is God. And therefore, they're um, they're deceived and trying to deceive. Verse eight, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for, um, but but we win a full reward. What are you saying is finish well. You started well, now finish well and, and remain true to my commandments and to my word. Verse nine, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the father and the son. If you abide in me, you have both the father and you have the son, John 14, six. He says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the father except by me. And what he's saying here, too, is that there are those who have gone at, gone on ahead almost looking like, "Oh well, we're just going to have a Christ and then we're going to add these other things or we're going to add this other teaching. They've gone, gone on ahead. Rather than wait and rather than continue to learn, they felt like they were uh, uh, learned enough and they went on and, and left. And so they've walked away from the pureness of the Word of God and they're kind of adding other things. How do we know that? Because we go to verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. This sounds like he's talking about not having fellowship with with people. No, in that time, in their culture, to receive one into your house um, was like to say, I accept you. So what he's saying is, yes, believers should be hospitable, we should be kind to unbelievers, but not to false teachers. And the reason for this is one, you could potentially open up yourself or someone in your home to the deception of the false teachers. And also, if I was to receive a false teacher, that false teacher could go to someone else and say, you should receive me because Gary received me. Are you better than Gary? Are you smarter than Gary? Do you more? No, no, I have to be careful. When I was a pastor, I was careful about who I brought into my pulpit because my sheep needed to hear truth. I don't need to come the next week and try to, try to, try to fix things that somebody messed up doctrinally. Not that I'm smarter than anyone else, but I wouldn't bring someone else in knowing that they didn't believe uh, what the scripture um, says. I hope that that's understandable. We're not to be unkind to people. But to accept them into our house is, in a sense, to accept what they teach. And so we have to be careful. Be kind to unbelievers and loving, but not to those who would potentially bring false doctrine. And then he finishes with this greeting. Verse 12. Though, uh, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use pen and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete, that our joy together would be complete. It's basically identical to third John in in its final uh, words. And then verse 13, the children of your elect, sister, greet you. Again, potentially here what we're saying in verse one and verse three is this this letter is written from a church leader to a, to another church leader about the church, not so much an individual, maybe, maybe for the whole church. And so this letter is incredibly important and there's a lot of good doctrine in here. So my wife was right. Um, that the book of Second John and the book of Third John are important, and they 're all the gospel right and so uh, I give her credit for for us going into second John, and then tomorrow we 'll go into to third John. Let me close in prayer in second peter three eighteen but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to him be glory both now while we 're on this earth and to the day of eternity when he comes back for us. amen God bless you till we talk again.